Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. As usual, this is our weekly roundup of, of news featuring our wonderful friends from CQ Roll Call, John Bennett, editor-at-large, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin, uh, who also has his own podcast, which we'll let him plug at the end of the show, and and uh, myself, Brian Caraman. This week, a lot to unpack. Uh, Giuliani went down to Georgia and was looking for a soul to steal, and he lied, and he got way behind, and he made a deal. Uh, Hunter Biden made a non-plea this week in federal court. And, of course, John Kirby talked about UAPs, UFOs, and there was a congressional hearing on the Hill this week about that, the Trump pending indictment from uh, Jack Smith. McConnell has an issue uh, in front of people as he, on Wednesday afternoon, McCarthy is promising impeachment against Biden. And for all of those who love to swim in hot tubs, the sea, the ocean outside of uh, Florida reached 101 degrees. So we've got all that to unpack. Stick around, we'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. With me now is Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor, editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John Bennett. And we're going to start off a wonderful day talking about uh, Rudy Giuliani going down to Georgia and admitting that he lied. For those who admit it, that, uh, who missed it, uh, Rudy admitted that he lied about two women who uh, were workers in Georgia. And he says, just for litigation purposes, he's admitting that he's lying. And I guess the question is, and to just ask this question, is Rudy now exposed and liable to be indicted down in Georgia? For that, we turn to Michael Zeldin. Michael, what are your thoughts? So let's back up, as I always like to say, in answer to your question, so we get the, the context. <clears throat> Two Georgia election workers Ruby Freeman and Shay Moss sued Rudy Giuliani for defamation, saying that what he said about them was false and therefore defamatory. And they've been involved in litigation since the 2020 election. And Giuliani has been dragging his feet about complying with discovery orders and the like. And finally, he, in an effort to avoid going to trial, 
he has filed what they call a NOLO contendery stipulation, which is, I don't contest what you're saying stipulation. And that stipulation that he says, for the purposes of this litigation, the defamation litigation, I admit that what I said was false and defamatory. And um, I think that I shouldn't have to pay uh, much money, uh, if any, uh, to this, but I don't contest uh, the factual elements of liability regarding their claim of intentional infliction of emotional distress and other related um, areas. Now, he says that damages should be mitigated by all sorts of things, but right. we'll, see what the, we'll see what the court says about that. But most important is he admits that he lied. So now to your question, he's admitting in this civil defamation case that he that his statements about the election and the um, efforts to um, count votes in Georgia, just find me 11,780, all right. that stuff essentially by implication was false. And I think that while he says this admission is only for the purposes of this litigation, the prosecutors in Fulton County in Georgia are going to look at this and say, if he's not contesting it here, surely we're going to be able to prove it in our criminal case beyond a reasonable doubt. So even if it's not an admission admissible in a, in a criminal trial, I don't know whether it is or, or it isn't um, explicitly, but it does go to show that the Fannie Willis prosecution in Georgia could easily contain counts against Giuliani for fraud. And so it, it, it does seem to bleed over. It may not be a direct line that it's not as he's not admitting it in the context of a criminal case. But when you admit, yes, I lied. And what I said was defamatory because what I said about them, uh, you know, interfering with the, the counting of votes and hiding ballots and stuffing and all that sort of stuff. None of that was true. Well, that's what Fannie Willis and the prosecutors yeah, in right. Florida are exactly looking into. And so, you know, again, whether it's exactly admissible uh, as a confession is besides the point. It will be provable um, beyond a reasonable doubt. And if Giuliani doesn't strike a deal with her, similar to the deal he's trying to strike here, he could well get indicted and um, probably convicted. That's uh, John, the, you know, we, we marvel at how Trump's cronies in Congress continue to stand by him, even though shit like this is going on. Do you think any of this with re revelation about Rudy admitting that he's lying? Well, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone, but do you think that the fact that it's come out publicly will cause some of his minions and Trump's minions in Congress to begin to back away from him supporting this next run for president? The over-under is two and a half. <laughs> and I'll take the under. Yeah, right? That? Uh, no, they're going to stand by him. Uh, they've stood by him. Look, 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 look. Everybody knows Rudy's game here. This is a guy who uh, organized a press conference about shenanigans in a presidential election at a landscaping company. I was this there, is I a, know. This is, this is a guy who called a press conference um, – I believe it was in Arlington over here uh, outside of DC about a about the presidential election and shenanigans 
and hair dye, cheap hair dye, ran down his face when he was sweating because of the television lights. Okay, um, this is what we're dealing with. This is a guy who waited until now to admit what we could all see when the Georgia officials called his bluff about these allegations and released the surveillance uh, the surveillance camera footage from inside the building where the votes were being counted. We saw it. Yeah. Oh, it on the <laughs> damn television. Okay. So we we knew this all about Rudy, and he um America's mayor, he is not anymore. Uh Rudy Rudy went criminal. into Trump. Rudy went in fully into Trump world and he went full native. So yeah, we've known this for some time. So Rudy's credibility uh has has been diminished for quite some time so you know rudy alone is not going to make many of trump supporters on the hill or within the gop uh flee now a series of these things could if mark meadows starts singing in court documents and 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 telling truths and we know he's um, been before the the yeah uh, yeah he's you know if you get if you get a, a the rudy stuff mark meadows and and some others start uh start breaking their silence uh, then yeah you could see more of an exodus uh, but as far as who to vote for where are they going to go they're not going to vote for joe biden they might now they might vote for democratic congressional candidates they certainly did in the last two elections um, so you might feel it there a little more but right now trump's still and polling he, he ticked up again in the monmouth poll um you know he's up to it's 50, amazing or 55 percent despite all this and that poll was taken since the target letter and since talk of this third indictment really heated up and he gained now it might just be a percentage point but he did gain ground and most importantly uh ron desantis didn't gain any ground on him this isn't helping desantis close the gap at all and no one else polls higher than five percent so it's no. either desantis or it's nobody my Mike Pence, he, he he's he's pulling in under the margin of error. So let's see. Yeah, that's fascinating. I'll, I'll share one thing with you, Michael. You'll appreciate it from Norm Eisen, who said that if, you know, I, I, I gave him the line, you know, uh, that Rudy went down to Georgia looking for a soul to steal. And he said, look, he said, Brian, if uh, the devil were as incompetent as Rudy Giuliani, hell would be empty. So that's 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 where he falls out on it and i would uh, love to see uh, and there are many people now who think uh, like you do michael that he could indeed be indicted one of the guys who was indicted by the way and to and on wednesday uh was supposed to plead but there was a non-plea that came out and that was hunter biden for his his um tax problems and he had uh, apparently the deal fell down over a a gun charge and the judge decided not to take a, an amended plea deal just to make sure that what they've um, considered can be done. And at some later point, that plea deal will take place. Michael, does this in, in any way mean that uh, Hunter could face additional charges? Well, what happened in court today was a couple of things. First, the judge asked Hunter Biden and the prosecutor, Hunter Biden's lawyers and the prosecutors, does this settle all the universe of charges? 
including FARA, the the foreign lobbying statute. Biden's lawyer said yes. Prosecutors said no. Judge said we can't have a plea if you guys disagree on whether this is the universe of possible charges and this case is now closed or whether this is an ongoing investigation and is still open on possible foreign um, corruption um, failure to register charges. They take a break, they come back, Biden's, Biden's lawyers and the prosecutors say, yes, judge, this does not cover Farah, and that is still a possibility going forward. So the judge says, fine. So we agree, everyone agrees, this doesn't cover Farah, agree, agree. All right, tax charges. Are you pleading guilty to these tax charges? Yes, pretty straightforward stuff. Then she says, I want to talk about this gun charge, where you have in here this provision that says he will plead guilty to what they call lie and buy, lying on the form to buy a gun. What his lie was, was that he was sober at the time he bought the gun, when in fact he was not. Not meaning in the store at that moment, but he was addicted to drugs at the time, and you're not allowed to buy guns in, in, in that state. And 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 they the judge says, fine, you know, we can have a diversion like that. You can plead guilty, and if everything goes right, this case you'll get diversion instead of jail. And the prosecutor says, yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's a contract. And the judge says, but I don't understand something about this, which is it seems to me it says in here that if there's a dispute between you, Hunter Biden, and you, federal prosecutor, about whether or not he's complying with the terms of the diversion program, I, the judge, have got to make a decision about that. She says, I don't want to, I don't want to be in the middle of that. Who asked, you know, right. who, asks, who asks a federal judge, the judicial branch, to make essentially an executive branch styled decision? Because if she says the terms of the, of the plea are no good, then she's essentially saying he therefore should be prosecuted. That's a prosecutorial decision. She says, I have separation of powers problems with that. And you guys got to figure this thing out because it may not be constitutional. And so they all left and they're going to try to figure out exactly you know, what this means. I think what they'll come back with is they'll say to the judge, all right, judge, you're out of it. This is just a contract between two parties and we, the prosecutors, will make a decision about whether he meets the terms of the diversion plan or not. What the prosecutors said in court was, look, judge, this was unusual to stick you in the middle and sort of we're sorry we didn't flag it for you. But the reason we did that was because of the profile of Hunter Biden. We wanted to make sure if there was a disagreement between us, the prosecutors, and he, Biden, about whether he was complying with the terms of the diversion, that a neutral fact finder, you, judge, would make that determination. And so that's what our intentions were good, to make sure that there could be no question about uh, who was making the decision about whether he complied or didn't comply. But we, we hear your point and we'll take it back. And I think what they'll come back and say is, judge, you're out of it. It's a contract. We, the prosecutors, will decide whether he complies or doesn't comply. And I think the plea will go down. He'll plead guilty to the tax charges. He'll plead guilty 
or be diverted in the in the gun case, and then the prosecutors will make a decision whether he's prosecutable for Farah or any other charge. I mean, there's allegations that he laundered money through cutouts that he earned overseas, and all that is apparently fair game, and the prosecutors will make a decision about whether they have the evidence sufficient to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, which will be sustained on appeal, which is the standard they have to make decisions by. And so we've already heard from the far, well, from the Trump supporters who say this is weaponization of the DOJ and they're giving Hunter Biden an easy, uh, easy road to getting out of out of trouble. Um, I, I guess, how do you respond to that? Well, he was given two misdemeanors and a diversion for failing to pay a million dollars in taxes on time. He paid it late. Um and for lying about buying a gun, a gun which was never used in the commission of a crime, which is usually when these lie and buy cases turn into felonies, when that you make a lie, you buy a gun, then you use it in the commission of a crime. That's more typical of a felonious um, charge than a uh, misdemeanor, which is just the, the false statement on the form and you get a gun and you keep it in your house to protect yourself um, right. or, or, or some such thing. Uh, failure to pay taxes is a very close call in um, the tax division about whether it's a felony or misdemeanor. The fact that he paid the money back um, is helpful in getting it to a misdemeanor. The fact that there wasn't, at least um, according to the prosecutors, there wasn't tax fraud involved. And so I think it's on the it's on the fence, and I think the prosecutors made a decision, which I think is probably consistent with other types of tax decisions that are made every day around the country. Whether you think it's the right decision or not is really just a subjective evaluation. And the Republicans will say he got a sweetheart deal, and others will say no, it, this was a deal consistent with other uh, charging uh, decisions by the tax division, and there'll never be agreement. John? <laughs> what a strange day at the courthouse <laughs> in Wilmington. Um, you know, you would think that, that they might have uh, worked some of this out before they got in the courtroom, um, but they didn't, obviously. I'm a little uh, perplexed by by how this happened. Um, it seems like there was there were a lot of missteps on both sides, and uh, coming to this deal and and crafting the contours of it, um, you know, we had a, a filing on earlier this week from House Republicans, you know, alleging uh, all kinds of alleging a few shenanigans on the part of Hunter Biden's uh, legal team that they someone called misrepresenting the House, one of the House committees that had filed an amicus brief uh and and some personal information and for some reason allegedly uh they the, the document this document was created by the house committee uh but the and there was some personal information from from mr biden which he has a right to have redacted um but not sure why the legal team would have found it necessary to say we were from the house a personal information is personal information so just very strange stuff uh, went on this week in this in Which this gives, case that it, it just gives the 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 trump supporters yeah air. They, I yeah mean, i was on the hill today and and overheard some 
some gaggles between uh, reporters and senators and 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 House members. And yeah, I mean, the, the Republicans, you know, not the Mitt Romneys of the world, but there are the over under is three <laughs> barely take the over is, um, you know, but Republicans were standing right by Trump and just slamming Hunter Biden. Lindsey Graham told me that his understanding is uh, this this Hunter Biden situation is, quote, a lot worse than people could have imagined, end quote. And I got, you know, I, I several of those conversations. Mean? I had several of those conversations with Republicans today. Um, they claim that that James Comer, the oversight chairman, and and Jim Jordan, the judiciary chairman, and others in the House have even more evidence of Hunter Biden and Joe Biden than Vice President getting involved in his son's foreign business dealings. But then I asked Lindsey Graham, "Do you think they proved it?" And he says, well, let's just let them, you know, play it out. I said, do you think they can prove it? And it's just, well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, so, you know, they, they haven't. I've said this before. I said this uh, on our most recent podcast before this. You know, they they put a lot of dots on the wall. They've thrown the spaghetti at the wall and the meatballs made all the red dots. But they haven't connected very many. And, you know, they've got a WhatsApp message. And they've got a document from the FBI, which the, the way I understand that document is, you know, like you or I or, or probably Michael in oh, his legal work, if you do interviews or, or research, you take notes and then you might organize those notes so you can refer to them later. Well, that's what appears to be the document that the House, that the Oversight Committee has and the FBI. Um, yeah, that's our document. But the FBI says we never corroborated any of the information on those notes, but they're waving it around like it's, you know, yeah. like it's like it's the Constitution. <laughs> so it's just it's just a bizarre set of events. Um, there is definitely a cloud. And I don't mean this as a, as a criticism or pejorative. Um, we've all had rough patches in our lives and we've all had people in our lives who who just kind of had a cloud over them. And boy, it sure it sure feels like Hunter Biden is just one of those guys. And he just can't, you know, he he couldn't even get a plea deal done. Yeah. Over a number of months. Um, and it's just, you know, at a certain point at a human level, and I would say this, you know, about a Republican uh politician's yeah. son, um, it's it's hard to watch. It it it's you know, and as Kareen said in the briefing room Wednesday. She said, you know, the, the president loves his son and, and, you know, I, I get it. I, I mean, he's going through a lot of tragedy in his life, but you know, he didn't pay his taxes. He's got to pay him. He, he did buy a gun lying by. So, but I, at the end of the day, I find that everything that they, I, it just looks like it's all for political show for the, for the Republicans with little care for uh, how it goes down. Yeah, back back to just one. Sorry to to oh. go on about this, but um, I thought it was interesting on Wednesday, the day that Hunter Biden, the plea deal uh, was delayed. The the his father, the president, had nothing on his public schedule, and to me that goes back to you know Joe knows that there is this cloud over his son, and maybe suspecting that something might go wrong, um, he wasn't going to be in public to to answer any questions. Um, well, he's never in public to answer. Any I know, questions. I know, but today he didn't. Today he didn't even give a speech on infrastructure, economy, right. <laughs> generic topic. 
No, he didn't show up anywhere today. Yeah. I, and maybe that's because of the next subject we're going to talk about before we hit our break. And that is UAPs, UFOs. <laughs> and I, it, you know, I, I've said this before, back when I first started covering the White House, there was a guy named Les, I believe his name was, who was the first one to ask in the White House about AIDS. And um, it was a, not considered a serious issue. He asked the question and uh, Larry Speaks, it was uh, Reagan's deputy press secretary who, who called him a fairy for asking the questions. But that was that was a, a question needed to be asked and it was eventually taken very seriously. Flash forward, he starts asking about UFOs. He's often laughed out of the um, uh, press room. Um, we, you know, there was chuckles by reporters, chuckles by press secretaries. I think it was Joe Elkhart who once said, uh, when asked, why do you continue to call on the guy? He says he makes the rest of you look like idiots. Well, then flash forward to last week, John Kirby asked a question about UAPs, says we take it very seriously. We don't know what they are. We know there's something they've interfered with training. Then on Wednesday in Congress, while everything else is going on with Hunter, Hunter Biden, uh, there is a congressional committee in which a whistleblower steps forward and says that the U.S. has uh, possession of alien technology. And, of course, we have, uh, you know, dead uh, non-humans that we have we have picked up. Um, and it's again asked about in the briefing room today. And Kirby says, if the president and here's a quote, if the president didn't believe that the sightings by pilots were serious enough to be considered, he wouldn't have wanted the Pentagon to stand up and open an office to look at this. But if you look at what is ongoing, we don't know. The truth is we don't have hard and fast answers on these things, and we're trying to get smarter on them. So <clears throat> we've gone from laughing about it to it being taken seriously in 40 years. And, um, I guess that brings you, the, the question is, have we, do you take seriously what happened in Congress? Obviously, Kirby and the Pentagon does, which is quite different from Project Blue Book when it closed in 1972. The Air Force Project concluded that many sightings of UAPs or UFOs at the time were, in fact, uh, hoaxes, swamp gas, or a reflection from the, you know, reflection of the planet Venus. Now they're being taken very seriously to the point where uh, Kirby is saying that Air Force pilots, Marine Corps pilots, pilots in our military have had training interfered with by UAPs and they don't know what they are. They're, and they pressed, do you believe on uh, in life on another planet? He goes, I, I, I have no evidence of that. I'm just saying we've got to find out what it is. So John, do you think that we've covered this well that it's it's a tough subject for people to to get their you know, most reporters are grounded in you know <laughs> in marjorie taylor green walking through and screaming and ranting and raving this is a very different issue for many people well first off she's from georgia not another planet yeah that's i don't know what you're implying in there karen uh, <laughs> you know i asked myself when i got the the rundown today i said self why can't we get that interested in this topic? And uh, Self said, I don't know, Self, um, it, it's just something that I've never taken that seriously because I don't think, you know, I don't think uh, 
an F-16 pilot. An F-16 pilot recently went supersonic in Washington chasing a Cessna that ventured into uh, uh, DC airspace, which is a big no-no after 9-11. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think an F-18 or F-16 pilot is going to get clearance to go after something like this anytime soon. So Kirby's right. We don't have answers. And I don't, unless one of these things, you know, crashes into center field at Yankee Stadium and, and we nab it really quick. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to, I mean, we've, I've been, you know, I've been hearing these stories my whole life and, um, and and no lawmaker has ever pulled from the government the you know the the holy grail about UFOs. Um, you know, these have you things, ever seen it, anything you can't explain? Uh, yeah, a, a time or three. I was on a, a an overnight flight one time, and something fishy seemed like it was off in the distance, and it seemed like it was following really? us, and, and then wow. it was gone. It was red, and I can't explain it. Um, but I don't know. I don't. I my brain didn't automatically go to you know that's from another galaxy, another universe. Um, it's just something you know. You know, it's just as someone, as a wise man once said earlier today, I'm a working reporter. I you know I got I got to worry about my next deadline and what my <laughs> editor wants and you know tomorrow's issue and and got bills to pay. I I just I don't put a lot of stock in. It. I know people think this is interesting, but. I, I can't get that worked up over little green men. I just can't. <laughs> Michael? If you're asking me whether people are following me, I keep tinfoil in my shoes, <laughs> which prevents prevents that <laughs> from happening. And it I hope is. your listening audience is aware of that because it does repel <laughs> extraterrestrials. So, you know, the thing that's interesting is I've been watching fascinated the Webb telescope pictures that are, they, that are being sent back from deep space. And you look out there and you see the billions and billions of stars and okay, Carl billions of light years away. And you just say to yourself, it can't be that we're the only people in this vast universe um, that there has to be life Elsewhere, I don't know what that life looks like. I, I know recently they said that they found water in a in a planetary system, water vapor, um, about three hundred and seventy um, uh, light years away. Away, PDS seventy, I think, or some name like that. And so I don't know. I've I've never seen anything like. You've never seen anything. The like the drug flashback that Bennett just referred to uh, <laughs> yeah. that, he, that he had, um, but but as I say, I just I it, it just defies you know credit credulity or some something defies logic to think that it's it's just us. I agree, and I I find the issue. I think speaking to what you were saying, John, one of the problems is it's such a esoteric subject and we're so grounded in what we deal with on a daily basis that it's hard for us to put our minds around it and for you know and and to your point michael you know are we the only sentient life in the universe i'm not so sure that we're sentient i mean we there's, there's a, there could be a case made that the human the human race we we move in packs we do, we have group decisions that you very rarely see anybody make a a decision or or think independently so 
in its attempt to be sentient, I will say it is refreshing for me to see that it is happening, that there are people who are who are now taking it seriously with years and years and years of, of sightings. It is something. That's they everyone agrees it is something. And there have been, I think, many logical, imaginative ideas of what it could be. People from the future coming back to visit us, people who've been here the whole time and, and advanced and are advanced humans, it, it, people from another planet, from the past, from the future, drones. Uh, some of it is hoaxes, some of it are, are mistaken identifications. But to find out what those that are not the mistaken identifications, I think it's imperative. The curiosity of human nature, you know, as curious as humans used to be, or some still are, I think it's worthy of of, of trying to figure out what it is. And I, I do welcome, but the question I guess I have is, if this guy, this there has been no evidence, this is like when they say, you know, uh, Hunter Biden had his dad in the room and I have a, a, a WhatsApp app, you know, uh, with, with the notes. That's not proof. That's 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 something written down. It's like the notes that, that that the FBI had about, you know, that they say, well, you know, this is absolute proof. No, it's just notes. It's unverified. So what the guy said today, by no means, if you've ever studied or done any stories, and I've done a few stories on on this subject. In fact, one that I did in the eighties was a group of women who sued the U.S. government because they saw a diamond shaped. Uh, unidentified flying object surrounded by army helicopters, a beam of light shined on them and they got uh, radiation poisoning. So they said it was actually a secret government uh, uh, flying thing. And and that's, and so they sued the government didn't go anywhere, but they did. So, I mean, I, I welcome the inquiry and, but I don't think that a guy sitting there claiming that he's a, and, and John is a reporter and Michael is as as a prosecutor. I, I think it's important that people know that just because a guy sat there and said that he's a whistleblower and that we have, you know, we have engineered, we have crashed UFOs or crashed UAPs, and we have bodies that are non-human. Saying it, it takes something to get out and say that, but that's not proof. Yes. No, it's not proof. Yeah, and, no. yeah. But I think we all have to watch uh, Men in Black again uh, to to see what it could well be. Just wear one marble in a bag of marbles. Uh, yes, <laughs> we're we're living on the back of a koala bear. <laughs> so uh, anyway, anyway as, as as Brian as Bob Dylan sang. You don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. It's just impossible for there to the answer to be no. Yeah. It may be that we don't we can't yet prove it, but to me the answer can't doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, I obviously, I mean, if the Fermi paradox aside, which you know, depending on how you read that paradox, they they, you know, it's either uh, the universe is heavily populated or not populated. I fall on the on the side that believes that it is heavily populated, and I'm not so. Look, if there are uh, if there are advanced species from another world observing the planet, 
I don't think they would come down and talk to us. They would go, Jesus Christ, what a bunch of idiots. The, the only ones that would come down to interact with us would be their drunken teenagers. Let's let's fuck with the earthlings for a while. They're idiots. That's the only thing I can see. So with that said, oh, by the way, I've never seen anything. My wife has, my kids have, my mother has. I've never seen anything I can't explain. Not a thing ever. So with that being said, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to go to another fun subject, Donald Trump's latest indictment. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. With me again is former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin, editor-at-large from uh, CQ Roll Call, John Bennett. And we left talking about UFOs, and we're going to pick up the conversation with Trump jumping on one and getting the hell out of Dodge. No, we're going we're to talk about Donald Trump and, the, uh, and Jack Smith and his letter. He has, uh, Jack Smith has given a target letter, and there are... I guess, three potential indictments out of that letter as divulged by Donald Trump. Michael, you get to unpack that a bit. Well, I mean, there's there's so much going on with respect to the January 6th case. It's really hard to speak about it uh, in what could be the universe of things. What this seems to be is a, a subset that's predicated principally, it seems, on the false electors scheme, the false representations made um, by those electors, and that how that is part of the big lie efforts to defraud the government from the uh, lawful transfer of power. That seems to be a pretty neat package for a prosecutor to to sell. I mean, if you think about it, most prosecutors are going to try to say, what is the story that I'm selling to the jury? What's the beginning, middle, and, and end of it? And in cases like this, the American public as a, as a second broader jury. And it seems to me that a prosecutor could say, Donald Trump or those around him or and or those around him knew he lost the election, should have known, actually knew he lost the election. Notwithstanding that, they embarked on a multifaceted scheme to prevent the orderly transfer of power to the victor of that election, Joe Biden. And that scheme had multiple parts. It had false electors. It had frivolous lawsuits. It had defamatory um, attacks by the likes of, of Giuliani and other things like that. And the, the 
that effort culminating in the January 6th insurrection and the efforts to get Mike Pence to not certify is a criminal conspiracy to defraud the United States and obstruct the workings of government. That seems to me something that people can understand, whether you know, you're know you in a right. jury in Fort Pierce, Florida, a fairly red district. Uh, you seem, it seems to me that you should be able to tell them or any other juror, this is just not acceptable. When you know you lost and you engage in activities which are themselves illegal in order for you to win in the end, you know, to, to, to John Bennett, uh, who likes to inject sports stuff into it, you can't in the middle of a, of, of a, of a game that you're going to lose because uh, the time is winding down, all of a sudden try to change the rules that govern the game to allow you to win. Everyone understands that. You just can't do that. You can't, if football is uh, whatever it is, four 20-minute or four 15-minute. Four 15-minute uh, quarters. Four 15-minute quarters, and you're down a touchdown, and there's 0.2 seconds left. You can't say, hey, excuse me, timeout. We'd like to add another quarter here um, because we're losing, and we think that if we have more time, we could win. No one would say that's that's tolerable, and I think that's what perhaps is a gross analogy, but is what is happening here. They tried to change the rules after they lost. They got caught, and now they have to be held accountable for the, for those efforts because those efforts were illegal. Yeah, I'd say, John, your your, your thoughts. Yeah, this is uh the, if you look at the 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 possible charges here, uh these these are piling up for Mr. Trump, aren't they? Uh these are serious charges. Uh how many conspiracy charges can one guy outrun? <laughs> and how quickly could can Jack Smith bring these charges, which I think that's um, key. Yeah, how how quickly can can Smith bring these charges um which People are still expecting as soon as this week, next week might be more realistic. And can he get it to trial before the election? Um, and I, you know, I am, I, I'm, you know, I, I think it, I'm not going to change anyone's mind about whether Trump is guilty or not, but I do think the voter deserves, deserves uh, judgments in as many of these cases as the voter can get a reasonable, fair trial, if it's possible, uh, as they can get before the election. They need that information when they go vote, especially, um, and I don't think I mentioned these guys last time, I will hear yet again, those independent voters in those six to eight states that are going to yep. decide the election. They need that information uh, when they make this decision. Yeah, I'm going to, I think a couple of things that you say strike me, the trial before the election, we know that he's facing four or five uh, before July, which is the Republican National Convention. So I guess, and Michael, you can speak to this when I'm done, streamlining the prosecution in January 6th would seem to be um, essential. In other words, not actually charging anyone else, even if there are un there could be unindicted co-conspirators. And the way I look at it, I was looking at this, um, 
evaluation by the just security folks, and I, I this is a Norm Eisen thing. Um, Three-step plan to overturn the election. Trump knew he lost the election, but did not want to give up power, so he worked with his lawyers and others on a wide variety of schemes to change the outcome. Number two, when all those schemes failed, Trump and his lawyers ultimately concentrated on using the false electoral slates to obstruct the constitutionally mandated con uh, congressional certification of the election. And when Pence refused to help out Trump, Trump went to his last resort, triggering the insurrection. And those are the three, if you streamline it, I guess, and those would be the three indictments, federal indictments against him. These would be in a D.C. court, not in Florida. So the wheel of justice would spin. There'd be a better chance of getting even some of the Trump-appointed uh, judges in D.C. are far better than what they've got in in Florida. So it looks like, and 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 Michael, it 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 looks like then what they might be doing is try to streamline the prosecution and get it to trial before July and get as as, as you said, John, try to get a any kind of outcome out there prior to next July. Does that make sense to you? Well, they have a lot of problems here with the with the trial um docket. They have if you look at the if you look at what's going on at the moment, you've got the civil fraud case by Letitia James in New York mm -hmm. scheduled to start October the 2nd. You've got the E. Jean Carroll part two defamation case scheduled to start January 15th. You got the Alvin Bragg Manhattan DA case scheduled to start March 25th. You've got the Mar-a-Lago documents case scheduled for May the 20th. There's not a lot of time in, in that calendar. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if there are new charges brought, and I don't know that there would be three charges. It could This could be one conspiracy charge with those things all being overt acts in furtherance of the of the conspiracy. But if you brought those charges, you, you have really like late June, mid-June, July to, to get a trial on the calendar before it really is probably too close by typical DOJ guidelines to, to bring a case against a um, political candidate. Now, were he not a political candidate, um, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a, a, an issue. And, you know, some people cynically say the only reason he decided to run for a second term was to have this argument that you are not allowed to bring charges against because I'm a political candidate. And so, as he argued in the Mar-a-Lago case, defer this, you know, essentially indefinitely in the hopes that whether it's he or another Republican takes the White House, they'll make these charges go away. And we'll see. But but there is that window there, Brian, in that June yeah. July period, um, by and which I, these a charge like this could fall within a, a period of time that doesn't violate, you know, standard DOJ um, prosecution in pub in public corruption cases. And would and so. Michael, I guess in your opinion, that would favor a streamlined prosecution without other additional charges against other people at this point. Well, I I think that you could still have a conspiracy that says Donald Trump. Let's say he's worthy of uh, indictment. Donald Trump and 
John Eastman and Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and Peter Navarro and Roger Stone and um, Steve Bannon all conspired to defraud the United States by engaging in a multi-part conspiracy that had the following overt acts, uh, the object of which was to deny um, Biden his right to the orderly transition of power. So you could have one conspiracy charge that encompasses all those people, or you could essentially charge, you know, Donald Trump alone as being a consp- right. a, 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 a co-conspirator, a conspirator, and just charge, just charge him, and you could charge the others in a in a separate indictment. I mean, there are lots of ways that it, that it can be done. Um, but what I guess I'm trying to say is, were I Jack Smith, I think I wouldn't, uh, to use um, a hearts term, I wouldn't try to shoot the moon. I would just try to win the game. There you go. All right. So that what in the meantime, while all this is going on, of course, Donald Trump's friends uh, and family have been well, friends and family members in his in his phone plan have been uh, have been pushing back. And in fact, you've got Kevin McCarthy now talking about impeaching the current president, Joe Biden. And for that, let's unpack that a little bit, John, that they are Kevin McCarthy wants to to act. uh, I mean, A, does he have the votes? And B, will he actually do it? And see what the hell would he do it for? What what would be the what would be the charge? Go, brother. <laughs> and, and John, before you answer, find a charge based on conduct that occurred while he was president. Yes. <laughs> gotcha. I can't. Uh, an alleged charge that may or may not. First of all, this came uh, as a bit of a surprise. Uh, I believe it was on Monday night. Uh, you know, McCarthy shows up on on Sean Hannity's show um on fox and and under under questioning uh from hannity says that he believes that what james comer and others have gathered uh likely rises to the level of an impeachment inquiry by the house uh and part of the the argument that the speaker made was and and again on tuesday made was they haven't been able to to force uh, the Biden camp to turn over and others to turn over all the documents they need, um, even with oddly, even with subpoena power by the oversight committee and others. So McCarthy says the impeachment process would give them more uh, ability to gather documents and and evidence. I've seen and heard um, some mixed assessments of that argument. Now the charge uh, the most likely charge when he was president would be um, that he has, as, as Brian, you were you were saying earlier that this Republican allegation that Biden has weaponized the DOJ and FBI, and that would that could be one one article. I'm not saying that, and I don't think they have the votes for any of these potential articles of impeachment. Uh, the moderate Republicans, who, by the way, remain the key to holding the five-seat majority that McCarthy has right now. Um, they don't like this idea. They don't want anything to do with this. They don't seem to think there's enough there there. 
um, as we were discussing earlier from the Comer and Jordan and other investigations in the House. Uh, other possible charges now, he could be impeached, as we saw President Trump was impeached after he left office, um, for 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 conduct while he was vice president. Um, now, that wouldn't mean the way I interpret all the guidelines and rules that the Senate could re- could vote to remove him from the presidency because his vice presidency expired a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that, you know, stranger things have happened. There's also mixed there. There are mixed opinions among um, attorneys turned senators uh, like John Kennedy from Louisiana. He's unsure on the question of whether the Senate majority leader would be automatically required to hold a trial should McCarthy get the votes for one or more impeachment articles against Biden. Um, that's, that's uh, again, up to legal um, interpretation. You know, the Senate parliamentarian, Senate parliamentarian, easy for me to say, would likely get involved <laughs> and, and may make the final ruling on that. So there's a lot up in the air here, but this goes back to, you know, does he have the votes? Probably not. Uh, but this is once again, McCarthy and, 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 you know, this surprise announcement comes as he's trying to get the conservatives on board to pass uh, annual spending bills to set up a big fight sometime in the fall with the Senate and the president on uh, avoiding a government shutdown and funding all uh, all 12 of the annual appropriations bills. So this is a huge olive branch for the speaker to once again, and, and this is, uh, I know a guy uh, who's writing a column It'll be on rollcall.com by the time this is posted. That McCarthy kind of does this. I'm if you can tell, I've been watching the Netflix series quarterback. Um, (laughs) McCarthy kind of does this Patrick Mahomes act with the conservatives. He 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 stays in the pocket a little bit, he dances, you know, the pressure comes, he rolls out, uh, he looks downfield, he pump fakes, he rolls back to his left, and then he does a flip pass over the middle for 25 yards. And that's what McCarthy kind of does with the conservatives. And this was another one of those instances where, you know, he 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 kind of he kind of just kind of okay. So he's bullshitting talk. to keep him happy. Yeah, he said impeachment talk. No, no, I don't think we'll do that. And then when the Comer investigation gets a little further down the road, he's like, Well, let's let Mr. Comer's investigation play out. And then when the when the impeachment talk on the right and on Fox News and Newsmax and wherever else uh heated up a little more. Uh, he started to say, you know, the, the Comer evidence, evidence, I'm using quote fingers, uh, appears very strong to me and very concerning. So he's inching there. He's buying time. The conservatives aren't coming out against McCarthy, are they? No, they're slamming Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. And just about that. And, and then when they return um, to get serious about these appropriations bills, McCarthy is suddenly pro impeachment. Uh, so he's playing. He's I don't know if it's three dimensional or it it might it's not four dimensional, but he's playing he's playing a strategic game here with the conservatives trying to get them on board. I think for other things, but wow, impeachment is a strange olive branch to put out there. And John Kennedy, John Kennedy, also interesting today. I was in a gaggle with him, and he's worried that that the the once kind of sacrosanct um 
don't don't break the glass in unless in case of emergency impeachment progress and impeachment process has been cheapened over the years first yeah. with bill clinton and he pointed to the he pointed interestingly to the i believe he pointed to the first trump impeachment the the call with right. uh, with with He's, zelensky yeah. in ukraine so he's saying with those two impeachments, um, it's been it's been cheapened, and it's, so it's no longer behind glass. And both party, he's worried that if House Republicans do this uh, against Joe Biden right now, it'll further cheapen the impeachment process, and then both parties will just uh, impeach presidents of the of of the opposing party just because they get pissed at him. Yeah, and and a lot of the senators are worried about that. Kennedy's not alone. So McCarthy's got a big decision to make here, but now that he's I mean the genie's out of the bottle, these conservatives if he tries to put the genie back in the bottle on impeaching Joe Biden, they're they're going to raise it's going to backfire if he doesn't go through with it and they and they may very well come for his speaker gavel. Who wants that job? Go ahead, Michael. <laughs> not me. <Yeah. laughs> So what would be so interesting is to compare what the Republicans are saying now about why there <laughs> is an arguable basis to impeach um, President Biden versus what they said was the reasons why there weren't um, bases to charge Donald Trump. Principle among them is Donald Trump did not commit a crime that the high crimes and misdemeanor implies a crime. Alan Dershowitz argued this in the in the well of the Senate that this is a crime based um, uh, event. Charge. Yeah, uh, it's not really a charge, yeah, but a crime it, it, it derives from criminal statutory criminal behavior. Most um, constitutional experts say otherwise, but. Jonathan Turley, I believe, and Alan Dershowitz and many, many Senate Republicans said the reason why the Ukraine case was not a chargeable offense was because it didn't violate any statute. And so I think the words that they use to defend Trump will should come back to bite them, although, you know, obviously they don't have any shame about <laughs> arguing out of two sides of uh, of their mouth if it if it if it suits their um, Both sides of their mouth their, and their ass, but go their, ahead. Their needs. Um, plus, I think the behavior that is implied in impeachment usually is behavior while in office. I think there was one case where someone lied in the nomination process, in his confirmation process, and that was later used as an impeachment. So it was just before he took office, but he lied to get the office. The the allegations about perhaps Vice President Biden doing something are so attenuated from his presidential um, tenure that it seems to me that it doesn't pass constitutional muster. But this is a political process. But I would invite people to do two things. One is listen to my podcast, That Said with Michael Zeldin. We'll get to it at the end. <laughs> I don't. I don't say this. He's getting in an early plug there, John. You notice that? No, no. Yeah, yeah, yes. Um, but the reason I Respect. say that, what I was going to say is, listen to the, listen to their two episodes back to back, part one and part two, with Karun Demersian, now the New York Times, 
then of the Washington Post, and Rachel Bade, who wrote a book um, about the failures of the two Trump impeachments. And their conclusion is that these were flawed impeachments. The principal consequence of it is that it has dulled the sort of blade that the impeachment was intended to be, which is sort of like the final last straw. They said it has now diluted its value such that it's just going to become another political tool that people use uh, in the ordinary course. And That's I think what John that, was talking about. And I think and I think they they have it exactly right. And so it's a very long book. Uh, you know, I'm sure people would be that Rachel and, and Karun would be very happy um, if you bought it. But I've got a two plus hour interview with them that goes through the, their thesis. And um, it's really, really interesting to hear them speak. Not so much because it's my podcast, but really because. The, oh, Rachel, yeah, sure. Ra- That's no, no. not it. <laughs> no, because Rachel and um, Karun are, are so good. They're so smart. Well, one thing before we go to the break, our final break, and then we want to come back and talk about, of all things, the weather. But before we do that, if this does go to trial or if it does end up in an impeachment, the trial would be in the Senate. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has already said, we don't have the stomach for it. We don't want to do it. But that could change after something that happened on Wednesday. Who, Mitch McConnell may not be with us in the Senate much longer. John, you saw it. I saw it. Michael, you've seen it. There was a moment when he came out to speak with reporters on Wednesday when Mitch McConnell simply stopped talking, looked like he had lost his train of thought, didn't know where he was, and it looked rather sad and frightening. We don't know what happened. He later said he was lightheaded. A spokesman of his said he was lightheaded. Others who have, are are among us are in the profession of taking care of people. You know, the medical profession say it looked like a small, you know, minor stroke. I don't know what it was. But, John, I one thing I did notice was that no one came to his aid. I was That went on for like a minute and a half. He just stood there and all the people behind him didn't do anything. And the reporters didn't do anything. If I were there, I would have said, Senator, are you okay? But no yeah, one... It was- it was strange, was it not? It was about 20 seconds. It felt like a minute and a half, just from a human level. It was very uncomfortable. Uh, I was instantly worried about uh, Senator McConnell. Again, he had the fall and the concussion recently. Yeah. And he hasn't looked or sounded the same since he's been back. Uh, his gait. Now, he also broke some ribs Yeah. Uh, in the fall. Uh, and he's 81. And, you know, he, he was unfortunate, unlucky uh, as a child to be stricken with polio. So he's never, you know, he just never, he's never moved, uh, that great, but his gait, uh, looks different now. His face looks different now. So it was that it's what we all thought about immediately was the concussion. Um, I, I, you know, but Joni Ernst, she's in GOP leadership. She was standing, uh, to, to his left and she was the first one uh, do something, yeah. To yeah. do something. And John Barrasso, also a leadership member, also a physician, he was the next one there, and he's the one who got McConnell out of there eventually. Yeah. Uh, he got the staff, and they got McConnell out of there. Now, McConnell did return to the press conference, 
took a few questions, claimed he was fine. Again, his office and McConnell himself uh, said he was lightheaded. I caught Barrasso later in, in the hallway and asked, could it have been the heat? Because as we're going to talk about, uh, extreme heat. Uh, yeah, in the D.C. area, extreme heat and humidity. Um, so uh, Barrasso said it could have been the heat. Um, Barrasso also didn't want to diagnose the man. Uh, he told me, I'm a physician. I'm not his physician. So yeah. uh, Barrasso running the other way from liability. But Barrasso is an interesting case here that he was one of the first ones there. And it was also interesting that John Thune, um, rather than tending to Mitch McConnell, John Thune is the, the minority whip, the number two Senate Republican, who most people think would have an upper hand over Barrasso and John Cornyn in a potential uh, GOP um, leader election, or it could possibly be majority leader election in 2025 um he he didn't really tend to senator mcconnell uh instead he no. went straight to the podium and took over the news conference yeah i and <laughs> as we before in last word before we go to break the thing that i think we all ought to watch he's just a year older than the president he's if 81 by, and by some chance if he drops out this could also backfire on on the president going into next year for the election. So with those thoughts, we're going to take a short break. When we'll come back, we're going to talk about the heat and the weather. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's just asked the question. I am your host, Brian Karam. With me once again, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, uh, John Bennett. We're talking about our weekly roundup of the news this week and how the press covered it and all the things that you may or may not have missed. We're here for you. One of the big things that have has occurred this week, off the coast of Florida, a buoy registered the temperature of the water at the surface at 101 degrees. That's the temperature of many hot tubs. And when that was broadcast and uh, that news was released, one of the comments I saw online was, yeah, it's hot. It's summer. Get over it. But no, this is not something that is normal. It is not something that is usual. And once again, for those who deny climate change, they're going to deny that it happened. But anybody that's been outside in dc or otherwise there have we have set records for the temperature at on the planet earth january 3rd 4th 5th 6th and some places were all record hot temperatures somewhere on the planet earth and this year has shown to be one of the hottest on record at this point in time if you don't understand climate change i don't think you're ever gonna uh, Michael, you talked about the coral being bleached. It's this is a a frightening subject. 
Yeah, this is an existential threat. We are at a tipping point. All the environmental scientists say. I saw a disturbing piece yesterday about how the tides flow um, across the oceans, bringing warm water up and then bringing cold water down, and they're fearful that they're going to just stop. Yeah, that there's going to be a stoppage in the way the water circulates around the earth, threatening massive um, destruction of marine life and all those who depend on it. And it's just staggering to me that we are still, as a, as a globe, um, unwilling to take the hard steps necessary. And this is not a partisan issue because the Democrats have done nothing better than the Republicans, really. They may talk a different game, but all of the really hard steps that need to be taken, nobody's taking them. And, you know, I fear for, I don't have grandchildren, but I fear for I my grandchildren and, and, and their children, because I don't know if what we're leaving them is what whoever left the, the, to the dinosaurs, that we're going to just blow this place up. Uh, it's frightening to me on on a couple levels, and I go back. There was a um, the newsroom, a new uh, an, uh, a, on HBO, a series that ended. A, you know, Jeff Daniels played a an anchor on like a CNN type of network, and there was a one episode where they had someone from the administration that they brought on to talk about you know climate change and global warming, and and the guy says, uh, "So what do we do?" And he goes, "Too late." it's done 20 we're all out of here and he goes well that that certainly is encouraging and he goes no too bad you know we, we could have stopped it 20 years ago but we didn't do anything and then flash forward to what you're talking about the existential crisis that we face and it was the president himself in lithuania who said out of all the things that we face on the planet right now the threat of global thermal nuclear war in ukraine the problems with trump our politics you, you have whatever, a grain supplement, whatever. The greatest, ex, he said, the greatest existential threat to our existence on this planet is climate change, and we've done nothing about it. John? Well, I can tell you that no legislation is moving on this anytime soon, and there's only so much this or any Democratic president uh, could do on this subject through executive action or executive orders. So when you say nobody's taking the the hard actions, um, that's that's definitely true. And, you know, the political environment's just not there. Democrats would have to get, you know, they have they have a lot of vulnerable members themselves in the House. So, you know, I'm just spitballing here. They'd have to get, you know, maybe 235 seats in the House and and 73, 74 in the Senate because they would have vulnerable uh, purple state senators with that kind of majority. So it, it would be very difficult, uh, I think, um, for them to even get 60 votes if they had, you know, say a 70, 70, 30 seat majority in the Senate, you're going to lose 10 of those vulnerables uh, with whatever climate package and to get the others to to stick around and then pass it in the House with that many vulnerable seats, it would be watered down anyway. Yeah, and, and and meanwhile, the president said in Lithuania that our window is closing. This is another issue. You know, we talked about UAPs earlier, and it's hard to get your head around. This is another issue that for many, they just don't, can't, won't 
are unable to face it. I mean, I go back to the guy walking into Congress with a snowball going, hey, it's a hoax. There are people today that still believe it's a hoax. And, and you know, there is there are those who, believe, who say, well, climate changes all the time. Weather changes all the time. Climate is long term and it's slower to change. And when it does, it's more dangerous. And that was the first, by the way, one of the first scholarships I got to college was in earth science. And one of the things that you learn is that when it reaches, when climate reaches a tipping point, it don't go back very easy, folk. And so it's a an issue that we have not dealt with. And it's, and I fear for my, I do fear for my grandson. I fear for and our children. And I wonder what kind of planet are we leaving for them? And it don't look good. And bottom line is every time we take a look at this issue, we push it down the road. We kick the can down the road. And like you said, there's not the votes there to do it at some point in time. It's going to not matter what we do because we won't be able to change a damn thing. So well, that's, that's a happy note. That's a happy that's note. Happy. <laughs> so with that happy note, Michael, where can we find you? <laughs> before, well, wait, before, we before, before I um, plug myself again, I just want to do a shout out to Sinead O'Connor, who, who passed, away passed away today. Today, A great, a great Irish um, singer. A fine and Irish lass she was. And she'll be missed. So where I can be found is um, on every major podcast app called um, the podcast is called that said with Michael Zeldin, as you know, from talking about Rachel and Karun's book, which is called unchecked. It's a <laughs> book based podcast where we discuss books by modern authors talking about interesting things that are going on in our time there you go thank you very much john where can we catch you brother uh rollcall.com every friday uh call them there and cq afternoon briefing you can subscribe at cq.com there you go and of course this is just ask the question i am your host brian Karam. you can pick up the book which is called Free the Press, wherever fine books are sold. This podcast, wherever fine podcasts are sold. And you can find me on salon.com every Thursday with a new column and with a final thought that if the world is screwed and we don't pay attention to UFOs, is that because some of our politicians have figured they'll just catch a ride out of town when we blow it up? Think about that, folks. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>